0: Have you any more ideas
2: on who we should talk to for the podcast? <gasps> no. Of course! Let's start by getting on to Nicola. She's a lactation consultant. Okay. She'll have the inside track. Uh, yes. <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Even when I was growing up, babies were always my thing. For the first year as a student nurse in Crumlin, I didn't go near any babies. I was never put near the babies. I was with the older kids. <laughs> but as soon as I got onto the baby wars, I loved it. And um, it kind of, my career progressed from then on to knowing that it was the small, sick newborn babies was where my, my love was. And so I went to the Coombe and I did um, neonatal intensive care nursing. And that was really where breastfeeding came into it and a lactation. Yeah. After my third baby was born, I have five, Um, um I've been working part-time anyway. And I did the lactation consultant exams and became a lactation consultant, which the correct term is International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. So you might see it written around the place like IBCLC or um some people call it IBLC. And so that's really what my training is in. Yeah decided then to more or less set up on my own in private practice and so since 2005 I've been um breastfeeding support.ie is my is my website and I run breastfeeding classes for parents before they have their baby. I do postnatal consults afterwards, which is either in an office or in the mother's homes. And I've been teaching as well. I've done a lot of teaching. So teaching healthcare professionals, running breastfeeding courses. That's kind of the main bulk of my work for the last 15 years. Is your job like a regular nine to five? (laughs) <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's the struggle for me personally, is that, you know, particularly now in the middle of, well, we're coming near the end of kind of the lockdown, I yeah. think. Um, and and for me, trying to contain my work into the daytime and not come back upstairs and, um, and start looking at stuff late at night. So, it isn't, no. I'm always watching my phone. I'm always watching my emails, you know, and and I have to, because, you know, what I do is I'm looking after mothers who are very vulnerable. A lot of them have just come home from hospital. Mm. And so that is something, you know, like that the job is not nine to five. It's, but at the same time doing this, you have to have some boundaries and you have to be able to switch off because I have my own family and I also know that I'm not going to be any good to anybody if I don't have times when I switch off. So it's
2: really about creating a balance between the expectation you have of yourself as a professional and the expectation that these very vulnerable women have of you. Because sometimes it can be more than just instruction or a little bit of advice you have to take on you almost have to take on their entire situation right
1: yeah yeah we always say that um you know when a baby lands into the house ev- or when a baby's born everybody gets thrown up in the air and everybody lands down in a different mm-hmm. place and we're in the middle of that process somewhere as well like Ireland too where breastfeeding you know is really just coming back in I would say in the last 10-15 years um, to rates going up that you know you you're just people aren't used to it and they don't know what's normal in those early days when you come home and Everything gets blamed on breastfeeding. I know. (laughs) Like every problem that the baby has or the mother has is it can be. Now, that's when, you know, when there's knowledge that doesn't happen. But sometimes if people don't know what's normal, everything is blamed on breastfeeding because it is very different to what we would Mm. be used to 20, 30 years ago as how a baby is fed.
2: When somebody touches base with you first, what's that process like?
1: It depends when they touch base. So I have a number of ways that mothers kind of come to me. One is that they would come to my class before they have their baby and um, they would come to my antenatal class, which is, you know, three hours and on, you know, the A to Z of breastfeeding. <laughs> um, sometimes um, people come um, because they are worried before they have their baby and they want to do like an antenatal private consultation because they have concerns about their breasts or their nipples and they think maybe there's something wrong and they want to be ahead of the the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know so that they can they can troubleshoot before they have the baby and see if there's anything that they can do beforehand and then most of the time then the people come via i've just had my baby i'm coming home from hospital um he's not latching i'm really mm. really sore um He's, he's not sleeping, <laughs> all those sorts of things. And then sometimes it comes from the dads or the partners. The call comes, you know, and I love those ones. I love those ones where, where, where they ring and it's kind of like, OK, I'm sitting here and I'm ready. I'm getting ready for them to come home. And, you know, and I want to have everything right. <laughs> and, yeah, I kind of want to give them an award. That's very proactive, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> I have to say um, that since... You know, COVID 19, and since the lockdown began in March, I have seen the partners step up so well. Way more than ever before. Their involvement, and you know, they're there with the cameras when we're doing online consultations, and we could have three cameras going, <laughs> going at once to get all angles to make sure everything is yeah. right. <laughs> and um, and they're writing notes, and 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 in a way, it's lovely because I think sometimes partners and dads, if there's a lot of other family around, they can get pushed out a bit. It depends. Mm. It depends on the couple. But sometimes, if the if 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 the um if the grannies are very yeah. very involved partner can be pushed out. And so I love that, that they are now very much in the picture and supportive. So one thing hasn't
2: changed really, I imagine for you, and that's the intensity and the urgency of the call out to you, especially in those early days, or maybe always is the, the sense with, with the call out. It's like, OK, I'm at, I'm at my limit now. I need help.
1: I know I I would prefer if people got to me before then <laughs> you know if that the, the, they're at their limit and and you know and, and I have this kind of thing that I say to some of the some of the mothers um when when we start to call and we start going through the history and we start going okay, what's happened what have you done you know and 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 then I I might get this feeling you know like um I'd say is this last chance salon? Am I the yeah. kind of if this doesn't work, that's it? Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of them will say, yeah. That's a lot of pressure,
2: especially when you really believe in in what you do, and you really that that's your motivation is to help people as as much as you can to achieve that successful breastfeeding relationship yes. with their infant. If it's all on you, it's like okay. Well, OK, I need my special bag
1: of tricks for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I need my magic wand. <laughs> it doesn't work every day. But you know what, though, Alex? Like it's it's I think that that's something that I, I think I feel very differently about over the years is that, you know, I don't just teach people or help people how to breastfeed. I help them and stop as well. I help them find what's right for them and whatever balance of breastfeeding is right for them. It's not about what I think is right or what the World Health Organization says Mm. or whatever it's about. How's this going to work for you? And how are we going to make you and your baby and your family okay and stay breastfeeding or not stay breastfeeding? And if you don't stay breastfeeding, that you're okay about Mm. that. And that's really, really important because I'm sure you know yourself that everybody thinks about their births and their early postnatal experiences for years. They do. (laughs) It never goes away. They do, they (laughs) do.
2: So what happens when somebody touches base with you first?
1: OK, so so when they come to me first, it depends on what they're on, what the, the problem is, Um, as in they're not coming to me because they're happy, obviously. Um, Well, you know, some people do come just for reassurance for, for you know, to know that actually your baby's doing OK and you're doing brilliantly. Yeah. And, you know, like a, a confidence boost. Yeah. Generally, at the moment, my bookings come in online. So I changed to an online booking system about two years ago and it changed my life <laughs> because it meant that I got my evenings back. Previously, what I would be doing is I would be, you know, doing calls with mothers and then I would go into my phone and then I would have to get back to everybody and say, okay, I can see you, I can see you. And um, so now it's they look on my website and if there's availability. Mm. So generally they fill in a form on my website, which is their birth details, how the feeding is going, what the baby's weights were. So, you know, what the birth weight was, what the baby was, leaving hospital, all of that. Are they using express milk? Are they using formula? Are they using nipple cheese? So all of this kind of gives a good picture. Um, So I have a fairly... Good idea. Before the start of the consult, what the issues are, and then we start the consult. And it just depends. We try and time a feed around the time of the consult, um. But babies don't really mm. sometimes cooperate with that, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you, you 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 know, I arrive to the house or, or um, and the mother comes out to the door with the baby on the boob, yeah. and she's going, "I'm really oh. sorry, I had to feed her." And I'm going, "It's fine, you know. We we don't need a big long feed for the consult. You know, like I just need to see five or ten minutes, and then." I have a good idea about what's going mm. on and you know and we can work on latch um, and we can work on latch and positioning and all of these things. So, do you know what the most common thing is Alex? Yeah tell me. The most common thing that I do <laughs> <laughs> is that I put a muslin roll underneath the breast. It works for so many wow. things you know. Um, so lift up your boob a little bit. Lift up The boob, because most people think that their nipple is right in the centre of their boob, whereas it's actually angled downwards. Mm. Okay, and so when they go to latch their baby, the baby's pulling on on the breast or on the nipple or it falls off or it's twisting or it's and that gives so much pain. And so once we lift the breast and reposition the breast and it's kind of like learning, they're not going to be doing that for ages, but lift it up. The difference is amazing. Things like keeping the baby in really close. A lot of people don't realise that the baby actually needs to be plastered to you.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> like in the class I would use, you know, those jelly things that cling to windows. Yeah. Like that's what we were talking about. Arms and legs out. Flat. Um, and line back a little bit mm. and cheeks right into the breast. Work a breastfeeding for the baby. And it is work. I mean they have to move their jaw. The milk just does not flow on its own. So sleepy babies can sometimes, you know, they can be a challenge. Um, but so the work of breastfeeding is done with the jaw and the tongue. It's not done with mm-hmm. the suck. It's more compression and, and compressing the milk out with a little bit of suction. So if the baby isn't in the right place and isn't positioned well and it's not just their head and their neck, it's their whole body. Okay. Yeah. You have yes, to look at yes. the whole body. And if they're not in the right place, they will use more suction. And that's where you get pain. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get, you know, sore nipples. And, you know, sore nipples lead to cuts on the nipples. And that's the entry for bugs. And there you have mastitis and all. And so there's kind of a cascade. Totally. And the
2: baby gets all like discombobulated as well in their little body. And they kind of start presenting other issues. And you might go, oh, the baby has reflux. (laughs) And you're like, no, it's just got a sore
1: (laughs) shoulder there from being in the
2: position. Anyway. Oh,
1: Yeah. Things change as well. I've had a couple of mums this week who their babies have been older, like they're four or five months. And they're really worried because their babies are refusing oh, to feed. Yeah. Okay. And so the, so, the, so the the presenting symptom for the consult is, you know, he's, he's got breast refusal and, and we go through the whole history and everything. And yes, there are some babies who do go through periods of refusing to breastfeed, generally associated with teething or sore ears or something like that. But these two babies this week, it was purely that the babies didn't want to feed; they'd had enough. Mm. The mums were thinking that they should be feeding them like they were feeding at two or three weeks, which is you know, mm. making sure that they got both sides and making sure that they were, you know, a good a good half an hour and like babies are feeding ten minutes they get so efficient. And that's where I say to the new mums, you know, breastfeeding can be really difficult and intensive at the start. But if it was like that all the time, people wouldn't continue doing it. Yeah, You know, like this gets easier.
2: (laughs) Um, I saw on your website uh, a note about inclusive practice. Do you mind explaining that to me?
1: Yes, yes. So that's something that um, basically what it means is is that I am open to helping anybody establish lactation, no matter what their sex, their gender. So, I would look after couples, um, same sex couples, where the mother, the non birthing mother, wants to breastfeed as well and she can induce lactation. I've looked after mm. mothers um, who've had, who are waiting for their babies who are born by surrogacy, uh, where somebody else is having their baby for them and they want to breastfeed the baby. So, they're starting trying yeah. to get some milk before the baby arrives. Um, and it's funny because I think. Why would you even need to put something like that up to say, I am, you know, I am an inclusive practice. But when I meet these parents, they say to me, I knew that it was going to be okay to come to you because I saw that. I
2: think that's just incredible. I had no clue that (laughs) you could do that. Yeah. See, that is magic. That is having a magic wand.
1: <laughs> oh, it's just the most amazing thing. Yeah. Sure, look, isn't four boobs better than two boobs? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, yeah. That is incredible.
2: I just, I'm coming up with all kinds of ideas here.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know, like it's funny because it varies between couples as well. I would have had some um, same sex couples where the mother, the birthing mother wants to feed and mm. she doesn't want the mm. other um, oh, okay. the other mother too yeah so so it's not a given but it is definitely you know I mean I suppose in the last five years in Ireland it's there's been way more which is so wonderful.
2: you know you just have to try and get that magic wand going now for the fellas Nicola. <laughs> that's, the, that's where it's going next. That's where the business is going next. <laughs> for all I those daddies heard. who have been so involved in the lockdown, who are now thinking, now oh, if there was only a way I could really, you know, go the extra mile.
1: But I, you know, men do have breast tissue, but they would need an awful lot of hormonal assistance <laughs> to produce Don't any worry. milk at all.
2: Um, how long does the relationship usually continue for? Like typically. <laughs>
1: years mm. no. <laughs> well no okay so the majority of people it's you know I follow up for maybe two weeks yeah. with them and so what I say to them at the end of the consult is you know we have a written plan um, about what's going to happen generally that's about 48 hours and then we check in after 48 hours either by text message or by email or sometimes if I'm really worried about a baby I will ring that evening mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. like if, if we have a baby that really is you know needs, needs needs to be fed and needs to increase their intake we'll make a plan for the day and and then check in that evening. So it's very dependent on the circumstances on what and, and sometimes you know, like this is the amazing thing is that having a relationship with the maternity hospitals and and I suppose having the confidence to know, you know, okay, this is beyond my scope. I need to send this baby back in mm. to get checked okay, yeah. You know, so you're watching um, out for things like that. Oh yeah. When babies are not feeding. It may not just be about breastfeeding. It can be about other things. Feeding is the first thing to be affected when a baby isn't well. And so generally it's poor feeding and sleepiness. So, you know, you're watching all these things and that's probably my training. I have that ingrained in mm. me from paediatric mm-hmm. and neonatal training and, mm. um, if I haven't heard from somebody, I will always check back in with them. And sometimes I'm guilty of when I don't hear back from the mother of thinking, oh, she must have stopped. Mm. I failed. Oh. <laughs> and then you hear from them six weeks later saying, oh, by the way, just want to drop you a line to say I'm breastfeeding and it's brilliant. And thank you so much. Oh. So everybody's different in how much support they need afterwards mm. and what they expect and what they want. Um, and then they come back in their next mm. baby. I have one mum at the moment and she is, she's have just had her third baby last week and I've looked after her in all three. And the lovely thing about it is that on her first baby, she didn't make enough milk. She had a lot of health issues and her milk supply just didn't come up the way it's supposed to mm. over the first few weeks. So then on the second baby, things were a little bit better and she was definitely much more emotionally, you know, really well. And, you know, and I think her head was in a much better place. And so baby number three, she's on a mission. OK. <laughs> and and um, like she's not in Dublin. So obviously I'm not going to see her. But um, but we're kind of we're we're, we're conversing online yeah. and we did an antenatal consult. And, and so like at the moment, she's exclusively breastfeeding. Mm. And she needs that support over those first two to three weeks to, to have the confidence to know this is OK. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this is this is what's supposed to happen. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do if the baby's weight hasn't gone up. And, you know, I'm not just going to stop. I, you know, so so having somebody who can guide you through that yeah. is. Yeah, and I like mean, you say, it's
2: very individual, you know. Yes. And if usually, you've got yeah. if you've got objectives that you feel are not typical, then there is a solution for you. Exactly. But what Mm -hmm. happens, right? What happens if it's just not working? How do you deal with that situation?
1: So obviously, you know, for me, mental health trumps everything. If I am really concerned about a mother and her mental health and how she is, and I have suspicions or she may have said some things, that's where I will say, okay, full and frank discussion here. How are you really? How are things? And yeah. um, and sometimes we have this term in the breastfeeding world where we say giving the mother permission to stop. Sometimes she needs somebody to say to her, you know, you can stop if you want, and I will guide you through that, and I will t- I will show you how to mm. do it. And and so it is really individual. But yes, absolutely, I would have you know, m- not many, but I. I do have clients that stop and, and I want them to stop well. Yeah. As in stopping well means being OK about it, not being devastated, not... And there will always be from... Well, that's actually not true because some people are utterly relieved to stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, they feel so trapped and so and so this is never going to get better. I think probably... The The main one is pain. People sometimes say to me, oh, you know, I was told it would get better at six weeks and then they told me it would get better at 12 weeks. Mm. And now I'm at 14 weeks and I still have pain. I'm long enough in this now that I can generally say, you know, OK, well, this is what I would expect. Mm. You know, like you probably you may have pain. This is what we can do to try and, and we'll try all these steps. And if that still doesn't work, then... You cannot be in pain, mm,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: for six months. That's really bad for you. And how are we going to get around that? What's going to be? may not mean stopping completely, mm. but it may mean giving some express feeds every day. Or sometimes it does mean, I mean, I'm, I've had really awfully sad situations where mums have been diagnosed with breast cancer and, and they have to stop yeah. because they're starting chemo. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, other ones, you know, where mothers have just had repeated mastitis and their health Everything is really bad and...
2: Well, what I love about what you're kind of generally getting at here is your experience, your passion for what you do means that you will always find some kind of resolve to the situation and, and yeah. that it isn't always necessarily continuing uh, exclusive breastfeeding relationship. It can be whatever you need to move on with your life and be at peace with that Within yeah, your power, yeah. of course, I'm not saying you're that fairy godmother with the wand
1: who always has the answer,
2: <laughs> but you'll never leave somebody I hanging don't. either, you know? Uh,
1: well, that's the wonderful thing about the small community is that, you know, we'll always generally have a hmm. buddy. Okay. So if I come out of a really tough call where I feel it hasn't gone well or I really wasn't sure and I just need to deflate. Yeah. Um, I will ring my buddy Mayvan. She's one of the other lactation consultants, or Kiva's another one as well. Sure. And so the three of us will bounce off each other. And I have an international network that I can ask so many people around the world, you know, if I need more research, I need to find out is there any new information on this that I don't know about? And that's it's fabulous. Yeah, that's
2: amazing. Yeah. Are you involved with any of the other organizations in Ireland or even internationally?
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, as I said, it's, it's actually quite a small world, <laughs> um, the whole breastfeeding community in Ireland and internationally, you know, the professional organisations. Um, so over the years, I've been involved. When I had my third baby, I, I did my exams. But prior to that, after I'd had my second baby, I became a voluntary breastfeeding counsellor with Quidu. And that was really where I found a love of breastfeeding because I was working in, say, the neonatal unit um, helping mothers kind of breastfeed or establish breastfeeding before they went home with their babies. And then I could see then that I was going hosting coffee mornings and and going to breastfeeding support groups and, you know, just giving information. And I suppose it's a little bit different. It's obviously very different mm-hmm. to what I do now. But that was where I thought I can really make a difference here. I can bridge the that gap between when the mother comes home from the hospital versus when she comes out into the community, which you know is that's where breastfeeding is established, and that's where it's so important that it goes right. So, yeah, so Quidu was where I grew my wings. Um, and then I also was involved in Alki, which is the Association of Lactation Consultants in Ireland. I've been their president, I've been the P- P-oro oh, well, me. That. <laughs> a couple of different <laughs> I know couple of different positions on, on the National Council. Then I've also done a little bit, not a huge amount, with the international organisation ILCA, which is our kind of our, um, it's not our governing organisation, it's our promotional organisation. The governing organisation is Ibilki, that's for Europe, it's based in um, Geneva. Do
2: different lactation consultants have different approaches to, say, some of the voluntary organisations?
1: I mean, you know, I would credit Creed you with, you know, they. I learned the most about breastfeeding through my training with them. I think I really learned what mothers what mothers need and also you know what I got from them personally myself and it's invaluable um what they do and the dedication that people have to helping mothers and it's a voluntary thing which is which is amazing so people come in and out of the organizations while they're in their childbearing years and, and then other people stay there and it has changed without a doubt over you know just I think over the last 10 15 years Even within like the breastfeeding groups have have mushroomed and there's some fantastic breastfeeding groups. And I have loved over the years that I'm able to steer a mother towards a group that I feel will be suitable for her. I can ring up a breastfeeding counsellor and say, look, I have this mum that I've been looking after for the last few weeks and I'd really love her to meet other mothers, but she's nervous. And because she, you know, isn't exclusively breastfeeding, I would love to just kind of send her along. But would you mind her?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Isn't that <laughs> <heavy>? <laughs> um, Yeah. And even last year, it's a beautiful story. I, I saw a mum whose baby was nearly one year. I think I saw her a week before the first birthday before the baby's first birthday. And and, um, and she wasn't from Ireland. She was from um, she was from an Indian country, and um this mum had gone to some breastfeeding support groups, some local ones, and had never felt welcome. Felt like everybody was being nice to her, but never gelled with anybody, and never felt that the other mums just were all heading off afterwards, you know, for coffee or whatever, but she was never, and so I was able to ring up one of the breastfeeding counsellors in the letter league, and and I said to her, you know. Um, she's really isolated. Is there any chance, you know, that you could, you could bring her to one of your meetings because she doesn't even drive? Mm. They came and they collected her. They sourced a car seat for her baby and they brought her to the group and brought her home again. Isn't that amazing? She was thrilled. Different It's lovely.
2: Two things that you've just said that, that I think is a really healthy reminder. Number one, these are voluntary organisations, right? They're yes. run by volunteers. They're people who want to help. So people mm-hmm. should absolutely reach out if they need the help. It's the first port of call whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, being in touch with somebody like yourself who can point you in the right direction or just giving yeah. them a shout. Mm-hmm. And then the second being that you don't have to be exclusively breastfeeding and you can be of any kind of background. It doesn't matter. They're not just going to discriminate yeah. against you or your baby. No, absolutely.
1: They're there yeah. simply to help. And the Letter League have this term that they say at the beginning of the meetings. Um, it's It's, you know, Take what you want and leave what you don't want here behind you. Mm, yeah. You know. So I think perceptions and knowing, you know, it does make a huge difference mm. meeting up with other mothers, finding your tribe. Yeah. Some people don't want it. They have it themselves. They have their friends, they have their family and they don't need it. But I do think that um, it's really important that you are out and about in your community. And I know at the moment that's different. There's a lot of Zoom meetings going on online. Mm. And so, I, you know, I, I think that the value of the mother-to-mother support groups and the breastfeeding organisations is fabulous. I think where the gap is, is in the hospitals and when the mothers come home, establishing. You know, the groups are really for established breastfeeding, minor problems, you know, one or two questions, that kind of stuff. You know, what's normal, what's not? <laughs> um, whereas what we do... You know, for mothers um, being at home with a baby that they're not sure is doing okay, um, or being in pain or feeling like you're doing it all wrong or, you know. And then there's other people who are absolutely fine. I'm talking here like everybody has problems. They don't. And, you know, it varies so much. But Mm. I think that possibly where we're missing out here is those first couple of weeks where mothers are not out and about and they need to, they really need that professional help during that time in my opinion okay. one of the things that I suppose I feel strongly about is that I stay in my lane I think that when you're in the birthing world you can or and fourth trimester world there are so many different aspects mm-hmm. to it you know like one of the things that has really taken off recently is um is pelvic health yeah. And and it's brilliant mm. because for years women have really suffered with the repercussions of birth and sometimes not knowing that there's many things that they can do afterwards if they are having hip problems or if they're prolapse or things like that. And so, you know, that's very specialist. My area is specialist. So my area is not sleep. Mm-hmm. I don't do sleep, you know, unless there is a problem with the baby's food and that the baby's not getting enough yeah. milk to yeah. go to sleep. <laughs> but otherwise I don't get involved. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't do allergies. You know, I don't do kind of if I think that there's a, a milk allergy or a food allergy, that's dietitians, mm-hmm. that's their specialist area and so I think yeah. I'm doing a lot more stopping breastfeeding. You know, whether that's at 6 months or a year or 2 years. What's lovely is doing those consults where you're going through the process of a mother winding down with her and how she's going to do it, and I just had a beautiful one there the last few weeks where we made a plan for things she was going to do for herself to remember, and oh, things she was going to do with the baby, yeah. and and ordering some breast jewellery, and you know, and and she hadn't thought of all these, and she was just thrilled yeah. that she got to you know process the end of her breast. So
2: meeting. do you feel like the role of a lactation consultant has changed in Ireland over the last? 10 or 15 years or even has there has it changed dramatically in the last few years?
1: I think that there's a lot more knowledge about it and a lot more um, people know what a lactation consultant is and they know that it's the gold standard in breastfeeding and that if you are having issues breastfeeding, that that's the person that you should be seeing because Mm -hmm. your GP or your paediatrician or your obstetrician Mm -hmm. has not had any training. Yeah. Um, I think there's a fear in some people as well, though, that all lactation consultants will want you to breastfeed for five years and that it has to be exclusive and perfect. (laughs) And um, That's probably one of the things I think we need to work on, you Mm -hmm. know, is just the perception of what you know, what the average IBCLC is like. Um, but this is a very young profession. Like, I mm. think, oh, I think 1986 was the first time there yeah. was a li- an IBCLC. It's not that old. So it's very much evolving. <laughs> Over
2: the centuries, was there always somebody in the community who did this sort of thing?
1: Um, it mostly have been the midwives, and then you know there was always wet nurses. That's the other thing that over the years, and there still are in certain areas in the world. Um, mm-hmm. and so it, was there people who specialised in breastfeeding? I don't know. Actually, I have never read anything, and I do read a lot. Yeah, well, maybe <laughs> um, that's the
2: answer. Was the midwives?
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely, the midwives. Yeah, maybe their role has changed, right? Yes. But, you know, like the other thing was everybody, everybody breastfed. There wasn't any choice, you know, 100, 200 years ago. And so everybody knew the basics. And now there is a huge lack of knowledge about the basics. One of the things that I decided to do last year because I felt, you know, is it right that people are paying for basic breastfeeding support? Is it right, you know, that they that to breastfeed that you should have money? Because well certainly the demographic of people who breastfeed are middle class educated women, they have money to spend on lactation consultants and all the other things that go along with it, and you know and so I decided that I was going to put my basic information out there, and that's all on Instagram. On um, my highlights on Instagram is how to latch, what to do if you sore nipples, just the evidence based proper information so that people can go there and if what I've recommended there doesn't work then call me yeah, <laughs> or yeah. I call one of my colleagues. Um, and it's the most amazing thing because I wake up in the morning and I look at my messages mm-hmm. on Instagram and I'll get messages from mothers in the hospital saying, you know, oh, I just watched your video last night and I've had my first pain-free feed. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, and that, you know, so I, I love that about it. I think that those first couple of days in the hospital, they can be so tough. And if the birth hasn't gone the way that the mother planned, or even if, you know, even if it went fine, but babies can be very sleepy and might not wake up for a few days Mm. or they can come out like, you know, they've never been fed in their lives and (laughs) want to feed voraciously Um, hours on end. You know, Mm. it it varies so much and um, it's so important that the mothers are supported and that they don't automatically think that something's wrong because that is not the way they thought it was going to be. And I think that that's really where it's so important that they get support and encouragement in those early days. Yeah. But also, there's a difference between support and encouragement, and also troubleshooting and being practical and not just saying, Oh, get into bed and feed your baby, and everything will be fine. (laughs) <laughs> because that's dismissive. The one of the things that I'm recommending that mothers would do now if they feel like they're, you know, they're being told that they need to use formula, is to use the brain method, which is the one that people use yeah. for um the acronym that they use that for breastfeeding issues. And that's where you would kind of look at the risks, the benefits. Can I wait? Is this absolutely necessary? Is my baby in danger? Am I in danger? And that's that's really it calms down the situation, it takes the panic out of it. Babies very, very, very rarely, you know, with breastfeeding issues, it's not life and death. Yeah, (laughs) It can seem like it is,
2: but it's it's not. It's such an emotional journey for most people who have their heart set on it, whether they admit that to themselves or outwardly or not.
1: But there's so many mothers as well who say, who say something like, you know, well, I breastfed because, you know, because of the health benefits for the baby and, you know, and, and there's uh, but I had no idea how special it was going to be to me. Yeah. I had no idea how much I would miss it when I stopped. Yes. And like everything in life, there's days when you'd quite happily. Walk out the door and say, you know what, I've had enough of this. And then there's other days when you're just, you know, yeah, this is brilliant. And most of the days, hopefully, will be this is fantastic. And to see your baby growing with your milk mm. is the most amazing thing. I I wasn't something that I expected. You know, I never doubted that I could grow a baby, or that you know, like I, I some people will worry that they can't get pregnant, or you know, or that their their pregnancy might not last, or That wasn't something that I worried about. But the surprise to me that my body could feed my baby was just, yeah. And I think it is to a lot of women. Sometimes mothers will say to me, um, I really, really want to breastfeed. And I say, you're doing it. (laughs) Like, you are breastfeeding. Um, What they really mean is, you know, I want to stay breastfeeding. I don't want to stop. Um, But they haven't even really kind of processed that. They are breastfeeding. You know, it might not be what they thought, but...
2: You had a lovely note earlier on about um, partners in the COVID-19 situation. Would you ordinarily encourage partners to be proactive? Oh, yeah.
1: Yes. Oh... Yeah, I mean, I love when I see the partners coming in for the consults and mm-hmm. when they're there. Um, and you know, this has been uh, you're asking about changes in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's one of the biggest changes I've seen when paternity leave came in. Mm-hmm. Huge difference in the dads being around in the house for the consults. Mm-hmm. Um, an awful lot of the time you'd see them; they'd be there, but they would be kind of half working, half not. You know, this mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that has been a huge, huge difference. I love seeing them coming in because I can say to the dad she's really struggling
2: yeah yeah so so you can involve them they feel like they've got something to offer in this relationship too it's not just about the baby and the mum that like you know it's a family affair well you know they
1: come to the class as well and they're hilarious you know some Some of them come in and they're fine you know like their grandma got all this you know like them I'm not going to when I see the boobs up on the screen I am not going to react you know this sort of thing (laughs) whereas and then by the end of the class they're like up there asking questions and you know um and yeah like it, it bringing your partner or like at the moment all my classes are online um and the majority of people would have their partner beside them at the screen you know, oh, um, that's lovely. And so, like, I think men sometimes feel like it's not their area or, it, or that they don't, you know, what possibly could they do? They can mm. do such a huge amount. And I think that. Maybe there's a little bit of a perception here sometimes that the only way you can bond with the baby is by feeding it. Mm -hmm. Whereas there's loads of ways to bond with the baby. You can hold the baby after feeds, you can Mm -hmm. win them, change the nappies, walk around. You can be like a huge support to mothers.
2: Yeah, big time. The best thing you can do for a dad-to-be is buy them a sling.
1: Yes. (laughs) Sling and walk and rock.
2: So tell us about your social media journey and how important it
1: is. I made a very conscious decision last year to really grow the Instagram, like I was saying, my Instagram page and to bring up my numbers because I wanted the information to be freely available. And also, you know, one of the things that I had been very involved in for years um, was the tongue tie um, world and clinics and education and realising I felt like there were way too many babies having tongue tie divisions without due process, which is Making sure that everything else had been tried first, because the really there's only very few places in Ireland where you can get tongue tie divided in a baby on the public service. This was this was quite lucrative, and so I really wanted to change that. And so that was mainly what the social media stuff was about. Um, yeah, it's going very well. I really enjoy it. Um, it's a different world, and you know I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> but it's seriously accessible, isn't
2: it? For, for, that, for the, those groups of people that you feel are really missing out, it's a free resource.
1: Exactly, yeah. And, and, you know, like, the amazing thing is, like, I have had people, and it's Irish people abroad, so I get mothers in Australia who, who message me and who say, you know, oh, it's just lovely to hear the Irish voice. I'm in Perth or I'm here, or you know, and, and I've just had my baby and I'm watching your videos or, or oh, God, I think I had somebody in Br- Brunei. Oh today an Irish woman and I, I was saying okay I need to look that one up on the map where's that <laughs> so so it's inter it's international
2: yeah uh, do people usually work on their own like once you get your qualification as a lactation consultant is, is that something that people typically do
1: it depends on the country you know um, uh, as in like it's very very um, popular in the states in the United States not so much in other countries so the bulk of IBCLCs in most countries will work in the hospitals and then there will be smaller amounts in private practice. Um, here in Ireland, there's probably maybe 10 or 15 of us who are full time in private practice. And then there would be other people who have another job and do private practice as well. It's a
2: small community then really, isn't it? It's a very specialised area. Uh,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Well, a lactation consultancy is a specialized area without a doubt you know um you it's it's probably you know it's the only so the breast of the org you know an organ in the body and it's the only organ that there isn't a medical specialty for which is shocking um like there there is in um in the USA they have breastfeeding medicine doctors um but they are kind of they kind of just developed that themselves we don't have anybody here in Ireland who is a medic who specialises in breastfeeding. Do you find that that's an issue for people in your profession even?
2: Like even something as simple as getting on the HSC? Yeah. You know, on their roster or health insurance provider, mm-hmm. or is it
1: generally accepted as a medical health assistant? There, are, there have been some um, incidences, particularly where people come into the into this career from two pathways. You can come in via as a nurse, physio, dietitian with medical background, or you can come in the other way, which is through the voluntary background, which is they have been a mother-to-mother peer supporter like La Le League or Quidju. Um, that would be the Irish kind of main voluntary breastfeeding organisations. And so um, it depends. The health insurers have been a little bit sticky about some of them, not all of them, about allowing mothers to claim from people who haven't got medical qualifications as well but that we're working on that and that's something that our advocacy group here in Ireland um, and our professional organisation are are working to build up the knowledge of the credential and also that everybody is equal.
2: Mm. Okay do you know where Ireland stands statistically around breastfeeding and what are your views on the trends
1: at the moment? At the moment, I I think our breastfeeding rate is 56% of babies get some breast milk in the maternity yeah. hospital. Exclusively, it's I think it's 49. Now, I could be wrong in those numbers, but it's around that. So that means that, you know, 49% of babies only receive breast milk in the hospital. You know, it's going up very slowly, but obviously not fast enough for my liking. <laughs> Yeah. Is that um, just in the hospital, though? So we, d- we don't know what the drop-off rate is. We do, yeah. We there, 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 But we don't have a national drop-off rate yet. But I know certainly in this area here where I live, in South County Dublin, that the numbers last year were fantastic. So as in, like, you know, you're going to have 80% of mothers in the area leaving the hospital breastfeeding and 60% feeding at three months. That's amazing, you know. But that's the demographic that we live in here in Dublin, in this South County Dublin whereas if you were to go down the country you're going to get really low rates and get rates as low as 20 percent and that's what you know that's where the the national levels fall it's people not even considering it and um, not feeling like it's not for them their families are very much why on earth would you do that it would it be um, fair to say
2: it's like an old school Approach.
1: Yeah, I think mothers will say, or they'll hear things said to them, you know, like, we were all formula fed, aren't we fine? Then, you know, you have the amazing community midwives where they're going to have breastfeeding rates up into like 99%. um, And we need so much more of them because it is continuity and that relationship with your midwife and having the same midwife or a team of midwives. It makes such a difference to birth and the Mm -hmm. postnatal period. Um, afterwards. Um, There's also public health nurses. I mean, there are amazing public health nurses who are dedicated to breastfeeding and they go above and beyond the call. I mean, especially at the moment, really helping mums. And so there are people who are amazing and then there's other people where it's just not their Mm. thing. And so my idea, what I want to see (laughs) happening, is I want to see money put into breastfeeding support I want to see a team in one of these counties where, you know, where there's really low rates. I want to see the HSE fund a team of lactation consultants to work for a year in that community. And I can bet you the rates would just go up so high. The mothers would be supported. It just, I know it would make a huge Mm -hmm. difference. And I think that's what's needed. I think... We need what's in other countries, which is where the mothers have access to breastfeeding support every single day in their home if they need it.
2: So really, it just comes down to that community outreach. And here in Dublin, like you say, there is maybe a culture in, in, the, yep. in the community for private consultancy Mm -hmm. but then we just have more people working in the community midwives and in the HSC there's just more people in the teams and uh, in or around the country uh, maybe there is more dependence on family support so you get more of a family influence in your situation and therefore less
1: support to start or continue a journey breastfeeding. But you hear sometimes people saying the minute the baby is born that they want to get back to themselves that they want to there's a fear that they will change utterly if mm-hmm. they don't try and go back to what they were pre-pregnant and i'm not just talking about physically i'm talking about obviously your life changes your life changes Im- immensely and you yeah. never go back you just go somewhere else but um mm-hmm. i think that if there was if there was more knowledge about that that people didn't feel like there was this pressure to be working, to be Mm -hmm. breastfeeding, to do everything. Sometimes women can take on way too much. You know what the fourth trimester is, do you? I (laughs) do. Yeah, of course you do. It's
2: an extension of the extreme (laughs) physicality of growing a baby and then birthing a baby and needs the same care and attention, especially just for those first few weeks and few months, as every other trimester seems to get as a given. What's your view on that?
1: The fourth trimester is such an important time and and I think we need more sacredness about it, you know, like more rituals, more more beauty in it. I know that might sound Mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, I don't know what the word is, superficial or whatever. But I think that those things that we do at the end of pregnancy and, you know, and all of that, that that if we can bring more of that into, um, into those first couple of weeks, I think that what I see all the time is I see mothers, they'll take two weeks, they'll take three weeks, but they don't take any longer than that. And I regularly am saying to mothers all the time in our consults, Do you know that if you were in a traditional breastfeeding country, you wouldn't even be out of your bedroom yet? Yes. (laughs) And they kind of take a step back and they go, "Okay, yeah, you're right. I've been doing too much. I've been expecting too much. And I know that, you know, I'm the worst because I'm a doer. You know, and, yeah, and I want yeah. to be going all the time. And so I really struggled with that on my first baby. I wanted to be out in the shops Um I couldn't stay at home, <laughs> you know, but I think even, you know, one thing that I say to mums is in the class, I will say to them, stay in bed, you know, don't get dressed. What do you, you you know, get up, have a shower, get back in the bed. (laughs) Have your breakfast in bed and stay in bed till lunchtime. Start your day later. Reclaim those hours that you lost in the middle of the night if you were awake. Hopefully you won't be. Hopefully you'll just be turning from side to side, breastfeeding and not really knowing how much your baby fed. But if you are awake, you know, you need to get those back. Yes. Sometimes what you see happening is, and this happens more on second and third babies, that if, if you have an amazing birth... And everything goes wonderfully and your breastfeeding is going really well. And it's just like even better than the last time. Sometimes you can crash and burn at three weeks with a a major, you know, crash and burn because Mm. that euphoria that you get from birth when it goes well, there's nothing like it. It is addictive. Did you ever hear Davina McCall talking about her births? You know, you know yeah. Davina McCall in the UK. She had home births and she says that she felt like a lioness in the middle of a field after each birth and she wanted to just roar at everybody look at what I did. You mm. know, look at what I made. <laughs> um, and that feeling, I know it. I didn't have it on all my babies, but I know it. And there's a power and an energy in it, but it has to be harnessed. (laughs) And that's the people around the mother that do that. The
2: yin and the yang. What do
1: you think we could
2: be doing better as a society on that note then? You're saying, you know, to harness the energy around the excitement of a newborn and a new arrival.
1: Oh, well, I think, you know, um, that it would be wonderful to have more help in the home um, in those early weeks. Um, I love the Dutch model, you know, where they have oh. home help coming in.
2: They have the midwives come in for up to 10 days, I think,
1: isn't it? Yeah, but they get home help as well if they have other children who come um, and it's all covered. That's and right. Yeah, but funnily enough, you know, I was talking to my sister this morning. She lives in Holland too, in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I was in am doing a podcast later on and it's about the fourth trimester. Now, she's older than me and, you know, and she would have been a huge influence on me when I was breastfeeding. And she said to me, what's that? (laughs) And I said, oh no, Beth, come on, tell me, you don't know about the first (laughs) trimester. (laughs) And I started to explain it to her and she went, but that's what we all did. And I said, but that's because we knew and because, you know, we Mm. had an even older sister who drummed it into us, you know. yeah. If you get up at nine o'clock in the morning and expect that in the first week's postnatal and expect that you're going to be operating the same way as you normally do. That's just not going to work. You've got to stay in bed. You've got to rest. you got to heal. I do mm. this thing in my class. I don't know if you've ever seen the plate. So there's a picture that goes around of the plate. <laughs> and the plate is an eight inch plate and it is the size of your placenta. And when you explain to a mother that that is what is inside her when the placenta separates... And this isn't the same as a period. This is, you know, this is a wound. It was like, if you had that on the outside of your tummy, would you be like, would you not be really minding yourself? (laughs) But it's so normal to focus all of your, all of your kind of attention and energy onto the baby and your other kids and you know that yeah. can be a huge thing for second time and third time mothers more more so second time mothers that they really worry about their firstborn, and how they're going to react and are they going to be okay and their life is going to change forever and I, I, I you know that's a newer thing that I didn't really hear 10-15 years ago mm. um, about the impact of a new baby on siblings it wasn't ever something that I worried about <laughs> mm. clearly
2: after having five of them but it is it is something that you're conscious of now
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I'm conscious that it is a concern for mothers that, you know, that they feel like they have to do everything. And traditionally, other children would be minded by the community. Other children would be minded by the nuclear family who were around, the grannies and the aunts and the mm. sisters. And, and that just doesn't, that isn't there anymore. And so sometimes, mm. you know, they're feeling guilty because the um, the older child is going out to crash in those You know, and you're saying, well, you know, well, they got that time with you. And now it's this baby's turn to have that time with you. And, you know, and the sibling relationship will build up over the years. And and it always works out.
2: Mm. Do you consider yourself an important part of the fourth trimester community?
1: I'm up there with one of the most important people in there, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I do think that I'm a very important part of it. Um, Yeah,
2: yeah. I hope you don't mind me saying It's not just about the breastfeeding relationship that you're offering. You're offering so much more than that. And also your own experience as a mother and a sister and a daughter. Mm -hmm. So much bang for your buck there, folks. (laughs) I hope
1: so. And you've had five children. I loved having my babies. I wasn't, you know, oh, you you, you can't, you don't need anything for a new baby. I was like, give me my bogaboo, give me my, I'll have the slings too. And I think that's possibly, that might be one of the reasons why mothers like me, you know, because um, I was like, oh, what do you mean I can't be pumping before six weeks? You know, give me the, give me the actual information on that. And, and so, you know, like, I love the gadgets, I love the... Uh, all the stuff. Yeah. Do you mind me
2: asking if you have breastfed all of of your children yourself? I have. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, I breastfed all five of them for varying times. Um, and I thought, I, you know, when we talk about influences and whatever. So my very first baby, um, I had gone to a Quidgy breastfeeding support group before he was born. And been really honest, you know, I was probably being a little bit um you know uppity and that I was going to see what they were saying because I thought I knew Mm. quite a bit about it Um, but I was bowled over by the information that I got that morning and when he was born he didn't latch and he didn't feed initially because he'd had a pretty rough birth Mm. and and I didn't get any support in the hospital Uh, I just didn't get it Um, I don't know why so I ran the Quid You Breastfeeding Support woman the next morning mm-hmm. and she um, she talked me through it and she explained it and he latched and he Amazing. fed and, you know, like that is the power of of, of what having a community around you yeah. can do.
2: But isn't it interesting that even with all your mm. interests, yep. that you, you reached out so... That's another important thing to say. Like reach out. Don't be waiting for people to come to you. When, you're, when you get pregnant and if, say if you go into hospital care or even the community of midwives, people come to you. They say to you, come in for your appointment. Let us make sure everything's OK. Mm. Go and get this uh, vaccination. Go and now get this scan and let's do your blood pressure and come to the hospital whenever you feel any concern. It's an on tap service. But then once you leave the hospital, nobody's offering you really anything. You know, you have to go and, and look yes. for it yourself. Unfortunately.
1: You yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I I, I will say something, though, about like that. I, I think that I know how hard it can be. I know how hard the fourth trimester can be sometimes when things don't go right. And and. It's not that things don't go right. It's just that sometimes it is really, it's a hard time for people and it's not what they thought it was going to be. And Mm -hmm. I had, you know, my fourth baby was the one one that I really learned and, uh, you know, how hard it can be because I had been quite sick before he was born and probably wasn't at full par, you know. I hadn't fully recovered as in like I had got the flu, the real flu, (laughs) and then got pneumonia and was, you know i mean i i literally fell apart um and then he was born and i thought i was okay i really did think i was okay as in like physically and mentally okay but over the first couple of weeks i just wasn't there and i remember one day looking at him and thinking i'm going through the motions here you know like i'm not actually i'm feeding him i'm doing all these things but I'm just not feeling that connection. And things got, I mean, they got worse mm-hmm. and I ended up being diagnosed with postnatal depression. I think it was about four months and went on medication and got counselling. And mm. I would say that it probably, it was just before I turned 40. <laughs> so he was born in February and then I, t- I was 40 that um, that December. Oh. And and I remember the night of my fortieth birthday thinking, I'm okay, I'm okay, you know. Now, I stayed breastfeeding. I was like this woman on a mission. Every doctor I met, every person I met was like, I don't care what you tell me to do. I'm not stopping breastfeeding. <laughs> even, though, mm. even though I was having pain and I, I had pain for the first couple of months. And it was it's a very lonely experience because I kind of felt like I couldn't talk to anybody about it. Mm. Because if you talk about it, then the first thing people are going to say to you is, why don't you stop? And I did get a bit of that. I did get a bit of, you know, like, oh well, maybe maybe you shouldn't do the night feeds. Maybe, you know, you um and when you're not thinking straight and you're you don't feel like you can trust your decisions, it's a very scary time. And so I do bring that to my work with mothers. And they really value that because they know that I I understand. There's nothing like having having experienced it yourself to know. Um and I look back and this is what I was saying about people think about their births and all their things over the years. You know, for years later, they think about their birth and they think about their postnatal experiences. And I look back and I go, so I still would say, well, what did I do wrong? And maybe I didn't do anything wrong. Maybe it just what it was what it was and, you know. But uh, he is the most amazing 12-year-old. Of course he is. <laughs> and he is. And, and, you know, for anybody that's listening, wondering, you know, like, oh, how did it turn out in the end? I think as a person who grew me, they say your, your, your hard experiences, um, definitely. They stand mm. to you. Yeah, I'm not invincible. No, yeah. I'm not superwoman. I thought I was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you
2: gave us a little tip earlier on about putting a bit of muslin underneath your boob. Have you got any
1: other tips? The milk that you have on day three when your milk comes in is not the milk you're ever going to have forever, all the milk. A lot of people think that their milk supply comes in and that's it. Your milk builds up over the first three to four weeks and that's the time that the work is done with breastfeeding. feeding. If you can build up a fantastic supply in that time, you reap the benefits later on. Um, and so I think that devoting that time to establishing breastfeeding and getting a really good supply. And what that means as well is that if things aren't going well, that you do actually need to pump. Yeah. A lot of people think that they shouldn't be pumping during that time because it's going to confuse their bodies or whatever. That's only if you have like a mammoth supply and you're doing really well. If things aren't that good. Pumping is not a bad idea. Okay. Um. And I'd like people to know that don't be too perfectionist about it. It doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be good enough. And even down to, you know, like if you've got sore nipples, use whatever works. Your baby's getting breast milk. It's protected. It's, you know, it's the most amazing stuff inside a little baby. I I show the slide of a mother in the UK who rubbed breast milk into her stretch marks on her tummy. So she had them on one side and she rubbed them only on one side and like they have faded, and it's amazing. <gasps> and I say, like, if they can do that, if breast milk can do that on the outside, imagine what it can do on the yeah, inside. Yes, You know, like inside a baby's yeah. inside a baby's tummy. Like we're not. We kind of talk about it being normal and about it being. It's just you know, it's what mammals do, and it's what humans were made. But there's some really cool things about it. <laughs> some really, you know. Yeah, big you time. couldn't help but kind of go, wow. <laughs> like even if they. Uh, yeah. I know, it's incredible. And really good for mothers as well. You know, that's probably something that's not concentrated on a lot. Is that how good it is for your own health. So, you know, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, bone health, like osteoporosis. Mm.
2: Uh, I don't have my biscuit tin with me. I always forget it at this stage. But there is one word that keeps on coming into my mind that I would love for you to give me some random thoughts on. And that is nutrition
1: for breastfeeding women, that is. So do mothers need to be eating a really nutritious diet to make good breast milk? No, they don't. I love the idea of broths and nutritional smoothies, all that kind of stuff in the postnatal period. This is part of cultures and it makes in the, Fourth trimester, you know, it's when you meet a mother, a Chinese mother, and her mother or her mother-in-law's in the kitchen and there's these smells coming out, and you go and it's all tailored to the postnatal period and the fourth trimester. It's amazing. But nutrition-wise, I you know, this is changing, being honest with you. Okay. So for years we have said what you eat has no impact on your milk. And there is more things coming out now. For instance, if a mother is vegan, she really needs to be careful about her vitamin B12 because her milk will be deficient in vitamin B12 if her levels are low. And that's just a very basic one. Whereas, okay. you know, there's more information about trans fats mm. as well. So, you know, in, in processed foods coming through in milk. and But I think that possibly an awful lot of what happens in the early days is that diet is blamed on normal baby behavior. So, you know, in, in what is perfectly normal baby behavior, like all babies will scrunch and, and and pull their legs up and explode out into their nappy in the early weeks. You know, that's the way breast milk goes through a baby's body. Um, And if you don't know that and if you're not used to it, mm. you may think something's wrong. <laughs>
2: yeah. Would you recommend any other books or websites or or even podcasts like that are really good resources for people out there who are just looking for more information in their fourth trimester relating to breastfeeding?
1: My favourite breastfeeding book is, um, it's still The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding, the La Leche League book, which was the, I think it's the seventh edition of it, came out a few years ago and I'm actually in it. You know, oh. that's the mystery. Oh. Uh, yeah. well,
0: personal One of the stories
1: in it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, know, No, I'm not getting any royalties from it. The Woman in Art Breastfeeding. It's a Bible for breastfeeding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's written really, really nicely. Okay. Um, websites, there are two websites. Well, obviously, I'm going to recommend my own, mm-hmm. breastfeedingsupport.ie. Mm-hmm. But there's another website called support. okay.com. And that is a lady in the UK called Philippa Pearson, and she's a lactation consultant, but her website is amazing. And it has the best information. I, every day I send links from her website to clients. You know, it's my go-to place for good sound advice. She's excellent. So that's breastfeeding.support. And then, you know what? The HSE, My Child, breastfeeding pages are very good particularly the professional pages. So they have been rehauled over the last few years. Um, uh, and the content has been written by lactation consultants. I mean, only yesterday I had a mother who she'd been given the wrong anti- antibiotics for mastitis. Bit of a bugbear of mine, you know. <laughs> there is one or two antibiotics that work for mastitis. <laughs> um, and so I was able to get the HSC recommendations and email them off and mm. say, mm. You know, OK, this is what should be. This information is all there, and it's excellent. It's
2: great. That's a really great. Yeah. Tip.
1: there are some amazing Instagram breastfeeding Instagram pages. You know, um, well, there's obviously all of, a lot of my colleagues here in Ireland, so, so you'll see them commenting. We're all kind of in a group together.
2: Mm. Thank you so much, Nicola, for your mm. time. You're so solutions focused. Your mind must be absolutely <laughs> going <laughs> from one end of the day to the other.